So, now, today's topic is super important because as believers or persons who are seeking to understand God's word, we need to pay serious attention to the Bible or Bibles we are using to read or study from. I have always maintained using the King James version. And today you will understand my reasons for sticking with the King James version, no matter what. What I would like persons to do also is to ask yourselves after listening to this segment today, if you still find it worthy to continue utilizing these modern day Bible versions for your Bible study or just for your general reading. As I state the facts today, again, it is your choice to choose. So the topic today is the pivotal role of the new version in United Christianity. So, during the Dark Ages, the Bible was almost a forbidden book. Its privileged custodians made sure that it did not fall into the wrong hands. So successful were they in hiding the word of God from even those who adhered to the Christian faith that the dark ages became even darker. At one point, listeners, the light of the gospel was very obscure. Its flickering embers were almost snuffed out. At that point, heaven had to make a move. And thank God, it did. To alter that awful state of affairs that prevailed, the Spirit of God began to move upon the hearts of those who really loved the truth and were willing to share its fruit. Having found such to be the heart of John Wycliffe, a Roman Catholic priest with an Oxford-stamped erudition, God used him to spearhead the translation of the Latin Vulgate into English. Following this, hand-copied versions were widely distributed. And the spiritual and moral blessing that accompanied this noble deed was phenomenal. This being so, one would have thought that for such a noble deed, Brother Wycliffe would have been honored. But this was not so to be. The religious hierarchy in Rome, running true to form, denounced Wycliffe and his followers as heretics and ordered their incarceration. And it was only death by natural cause that spared him the honor of departing this life via the martyr's roots. The vacuum left by his departure was filled by one John Purvey. What a blessing to humanity the sacrifice of Brother Wycliffe has been. But did the official custodians of the truth forget to award him the honor of being an heretic? No, not at all. For 40 years after his death, his remains were exhumed and burnt and his ashes scattered. Then came along Martin Luther. And with him, God was able to reestablish the doctrine of justification by faith. With this aspect of the foundation of the Christian faith in place, 
though attended by severe persecution at times, major Christian campaigns followed and bore much fruit. The fallout being the proliferation of various denominational establishments worldwide. Moreover, as a direct consequence of the above, the book which was once the property of the privileged few became the most sought after and cherished book of the many. And so popular is the Bible today that it has become a perennial bestseller. Listeners, this represented a major setback for those who desire it was to hide the word of God from humanity in general, but the laity in particular. Having failed in their earliest attempts to achieve their goal, the truth hiders have now opted for a more subtle scheme to achieve their original plan. They have now covertly set out to destroy the truth by sowing the seeds of suspicion, doubt, and outright unbelief in the hearts of Christians and non-Christians alike as regards the reliability of the word of God. And how do they hope to achieve this? One would ask, the following is their master plan. By masterminding the creation of and by supporting the dissemination of a multiplicity of deferring and erroneous versions of the Bible, the seed of confusion has been sown. This must produce an harvest of skepticism, agonistism, and downright rejection of the word of God. Thus, the authenticity of the word of God is challenged and the very foundation of the Christian faith is eroded. Listeners, the philosophy behind the creation of many errant and discordant versions is this. While it is impossible to drain the ocean dry, it is possible to pollute same thus rendering its waters unsafe and even dangerous for bathing. And you might ask, what is the point I am attempting to make? Now, the point is this. Jesus made it abundantly clear that the believer is sanctified by the word of God. Read John chapter 15 verse 3 john chapter 17 verse 17 moreover on this said team the holy spirit inspired the apostle paul to write the following husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That scripture was taken from Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 25 to 27. Now, if what I just mentioned earlier of the founder of the church and what I just read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27, this means of achieving that goal is by the sanctifying power of the word of God as John chapter 15, verse 3 and John chapter 17, verse 17 states. So if the word of God is unreliable by the schemings of men, can you not see the damage that the emerging discordant versions are having on the stated plan of Jesus Christ? Listeners, the plan is a diabolical one. And the more I think about it, the more I become troubled in my spirit. 
For not only is the pure word of God essential as a sanctifying agent in every believer, it is the very agent by which the believer is ushered into the kingdom of God. This is how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Peter to relate this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not with corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Moreover, listeners, not only is the word a sanctifying agent and the means by which the Christian is born into the kingdom, the word of God happens to be one of the three divine witnesses God has established upon the earth, the others being the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. Read 1 John chapter 5, verse 8 for confirmation. So listeners, the importance and integrity, the purity and potency of the word of God is eternally established and must, and must be maintained if Christianity is to be the vanguard of salvation that God intended it to be. But are the custodians of the grace of God aware of what is taking place with the precious word of God today? The available evidence indicates otherwise. For the very versions that have done despite to the word of God are the very ones that are being applauded and promoted by those who should know better. Saints of God. The vast majority of Christendom is unaware of what is being discussed today. They sincerely believe that the new versions are helping them to understand better the word of God. But this is not so at all. For while on the one hand, the modernization of a few archaic expressions or words are achieved, on the other hand, irreparable damage is being done to the fundamentals of the faith and time saints the updating of a few archaic expressions is a screen behind which the corruption and the attempted destruction of the christian faith is carried out and only the doctrinally enlightened saints can detect what is really happening but my honest hope and prayer is that after you have listened to me today, carefully and prayerfully, that you will see that the majority of the modern versions are in the main nothing but masterful perversions of the pure word of God. I intend to prove it today. Now, it is clear to all true Christians, irrespective of denominational affiliation that the only substance that can purge a sinner from his sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet, the elimination of the blood of Jesus Christ seems to be one of the goals of the translators of the NIV. Now, this version is certainly a modern version. For one looks in vain for the word blood. B-L-O-O-D in the following text and I am not seeing it. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 in your NIV if you have an NIV. If you don't have an NIV, you can search for it online. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. Blood is not there. Now, a question is in order. Why were those references to the blood of Jesus Christ deleted from the NIV? Is it because the modern man no longer needs the redemption that Jesus' blood provides? No, not at all. The reason behind the removal is calculated to remove the primary agent of salvation from the text so as to render them useless for the bible says and without shedding of blood there is no remission 
Read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 for confirmation. Therefore, the producers of the famous NIV made sure they removed those references to the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, and you will see there is no blood mentioned there. Of this, I am sure. Christian brothers and sisters, please wake up. The much-boasted NIV is a Trojan horse that on the surface looks innocent, but which is a fortress of destruction when closely examined. And such is your NIV, a biblical Trojan horse. If you keep it in your house, it will destroy your family. Now, I will say what an absurdity, what a calamity, saints of God. Can you imagine such wickedness? Hmm. Can't you see that the changing of a few harmless, archaic expressions is but a front to blind the eyes of the unsuspecting to the havoc that they plan to create with the foundation of the Christian faith? Shall we consider one factious reference of the living Bible to see whether the name befits the version? You can search for the living Bible online. Type in living Bible online and you will, you will be able to get that Bible online. So the living Bible to see whether the name befits the version. Among the post-resurrection incidents that are widely spoken of by most Christians is the incident in which Jesus, in order to convince Thomas, one of his 12 disciples, that he had risen from the dead, invited him to look at his nail-scarred hands and even to inspect his wounded side. The incident is significant not only for us Christians, as evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it is more so significant for the Jews who shall witness the end of the great tribulation. For when Jesus returned to this earth to establish his millennial kingdom, then the chief identifying mark by which Jesus will be recognized by his Jewish brethren according to the flesh, will be the very nail prince by which Thomas recognized him. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, John chapter 20, verse 26 to 28. Read for yourselves. Listeners, what I have just related above can be followed if you use the King James Version of our English Bible. However, if you ever attempt to follow the above related text, from the living Bible, you will encounter the following shock, which I am attempting to read for you, my listeners. Now, turn to your living Bible online to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, or John chapter 20, verse 26 to 28. And this is what it says. And when one asks Jesus how he happened to be wounded on his back and his chest, Jesus will then reply that he sustains him when he got into a brawl in the house of a friend. And time since, you read what the living Bible just said. Can you imagine such wickedness being written of our Lord in whom there was no iniquity? And you dear pastors and evangelists that use this version on the airways, can you teach what your living Bible records of Jesus in Zechariah 13.6? Was Jesus ever involved in a brawl in which he sustained wounds in his chest and back? Yet, that is what the living Bible states of Jesus in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 6. Madness, unbelievable. Saints of God, the above is but a very small sampling of the much boasted help 
that the living Bible provides. Dearly beloved saints of God, I honestly believe that the name of the living Bible should be immediately changed to reflect the truth of its contents. And if it would not have been uncharitable, I would have suggested a proper name for it that also ends with the ING and starts with L. Such should be the name of the living Bible. Now, let us turn to another Bible, the RSV. You can find that online also too for those that don't have the Bible. You can search for the RSV Bible online. To see what help the serious child of God can hope to obtain from this standard revision of the word of God. Now, although it is not as offensive as some of its sister versions, I believe it belongs to the same family. To support my statement, I base my conclusion on the following. According to the RSV, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 prophetically describes Mary as a young woman rather than a virgin and still mentions that this is a sign from God. Now, this is rather hypocritical because since it is quite normal for a young woman to have a child, therefore, according to the RSV in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, it is not a sign at all. So RSV students and who love to read RSV and have thrown away the King James Version. Now all the RSV students, where is the sign? I am awaiting your response. And while you are trying to figure out the answer for Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, please explain why was Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 revised to leave out the vital element of our redemption, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So if you have a correct answer to all the RSV students for this important omission, please share it with me. Moreover, why should the book of life of Revelation chapter 22 verse 19 be replaced by the tree of life? I am sure you do not have an answer for this one. Listeners, the only religious tree on which names of Christians are ever written is on the Christmas tree. And heaven certainly does not have a Christmas tree. No, it would be to your eternal benefit if you believe that and make sure that your name remain in the book of life. This is very important for jesus threatened to blot out some names from the saints of the church of sardis from the book not the tree of life read revelations chapter 3 verse 4 to 5 so rsv students and all those who love to read the rsv pastors evangelists whoever you are Please ensure that your names remain in the book of life as Revelations chapter 3 verse 5, Revelations chapter 21 verse 15, and Revelations chapter 22 verse 19 in the King James Version states. Now, let us review again the much talked about NIV to see how trustworthy it really is. And I will allow you listeners to conduct this test for yourselves. So the instructions are as follows. Read Genesis chapter 17 from verse 1 to 14. And observe that when God made the promise to Abraham, he deliberately used the word seed in the singular number. Now this God purposely did with the view of highlighting Jesus who existed before Abraham's physical existence as the primary beneficiary of his promise. For if God did not differentiate between Christ and Abraham's physical descendants in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 to 4 as promised, the chief beneficiary then would have been all of Abraham's fleshly descendants and not Jesus as Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 clearly indicates 
And the sad result would have been that all Christians would have had to become Jews by submitting to circumcision of the flesh rather than circumcision of the heart if they wanted to share in Abraham's blessing. As Genesis chapter 17 verse 12 to 13 clearly indicates, now, therefore, in order to ensure that becoming a Jew is not a precondition for obtaining Abraham's blessing, in making this promise to Abraham, God took special care to make the blessing twofold. This he did by using the word seed five times in four of the verses in which this promise was made. This Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 says, was done in order to establish the eternal fact that Jesus is the chief beneficiary and executor of Abraham's promise and as a consequence is entitled to share same with the Gentiles who were excluded from its blessings under the first covenant. Read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 12 for yourselves. Then to ensure that Abraham's physical descendants benefited from that promise after God used the word seed to point to Christ. He then added in their generations in verses seven and nine. Dear God, in verse eight, and every man child among you shall be circumcised in verse 10. Now, if God took pains to have the promise to Abraham written in the above way, According to the old King James rendering of Genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 10. Moreover, if after several hundred years from the writing of the original promise, he took further pain to explain why he said seed in Genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 10, would not that be a clear indication that that is exactly the way he intended the original promise? recorded in Genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 14 to be written? Of course, because that is exactly the case. Now, if the NIV were worthy of the acclaim awarded to it by our religious intellectuals and aspirants and followers, one should be able to confirm the scriptures I just read in its pages, but that is not so at all. For one looks in vain for the Old Testament text to which Galatians 3.16 refers. And time since, according to the NIV's rendering of Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 to 10, the promise God made to Abraham was held out primarily to his fleshly descendants and not to Christ. As the word seed of Galatians 3 verse 16, even in the said NIV indicates. Now, if your rendering of Galatians 3 16 is correct, and I know it is, then your rendering of Genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 10 must be erroneous. And it cries out for immediate correction. Listeners, the above is ample proof that the NIV is more international than authentic for if the seed be good the tree and fruit would likewise be good but if the seed meaning the doctrine of the seed which is christ be corrupted shall not famine result moreover listeners we all are agreed no doubt that the doctrine of the trinity is a well-established biblical fact in time since, God made sure that the writer of the first five books of the Bible and likewise the writer of the four last five books of the Bible include enough undeniable evidence to establish the validity of the doctrine of the Trinity. Therefore, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 of the King James Version, I am reading from and I've always been reading from it. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, if you turn to your NIV, out goes the Trinity. 
and one is surely at a loss to find the above verse. Now I am asking, is it an oversight in the NIV or is it a valid omission in the NIV? Listeners, the omission of First John chapter 5 is neither an oversight nor is it a valid omission. The deletion of First John chapter 5 verse 7 from the NIV is ample proof that the NIV is but one of the younger sisters of the same mother that gave birth to a generation of modern versions. Before I move on to another sister version, please accept one more erroneous rendering of the world-famous NIV Bible. In the first epistle of Peter, in chapter 1, from verse 23 to 25, the apostle contrasts the temporal nature of mortal man with the eternality of the word of God. In verse 23, he informs us that the word of God by which we were born again is an incorruptible seed. And in verse 25, he says, But the word of God endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, if the above statement I just read from the NIV be true, God has an obligation to preserve his word so that it can continue to produce eternal life in the individuals in whose heart the word is lodged. In this regard, King David's writings is relevant indeed. For in one of his earlier Psalms, one would read, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Read for yourselves. Psalm chapter 12 from verse 6 to 7. So what I just read, listeners, not only is the purity of the word of God established. In addition, God has given us an undertaking that he will preserve his word. Not only from the generation in which David lived but has committed himself to preserving his word for time and even to eternity. If this be the case, it is reasonable for us to expect to find it somewhere. A text that God has preserved in its purity and potency. There must be a version in which all the original doctrines of the first century church can be found and proven today. Now, what I have just said is not really just speculation. For Jude chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3 and 2 Timothy from verse 2 to 2 surely support such a conclusion. I repeat, Jude chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3 and 2 Timothy from chapter 2 from verse 2 surely support such a conclusion. Therefore, Psalm chapter 12 from verse 6 to 7 must never be viewed as a poetic digression, but it must, it must be taken seriously. For in these versions, we have God's assurance that he will preserve his word forever. For the above assurance, listeners, we must be eternally thankful how comforting it is to know that we can trust the word of God and should not be advertising NIV or being supportive of it. Instead, when meticulous search was made for seemingly NIV, what I found was shocking indeed. In our NIV, God's promise of Psalm chapter 12 verse 7 to preserve his word was unceremoniously ditched and in its place a promise to preserve us was instead written in so doing god's promise to preserve his word is rescinded what a credit this is to our modern scholastic achievement and what a loss it is to the church of god now, let me turn our attention a little to the New King James Version. Is it reliable? From my research, 
I must admit that its departure from the truth is less evident than that of its modern sisters. On the positive side of this issue, the updating of a few archaic expressions are desirable and commendable. However, notwithstanding the above positive aspect, when a doctrine has the seed in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 is compromised so that one looks in vain for the Old Testament passage to which Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 refers. One has to consider seriously what to do with this version. Listeners, the importance of the doctrine of the seed can never be overemphasized. For upon this doctrine, the entire plan of salvation stands or falls. This is verily so. For when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God's first promise of salvation was predicated upon the destruction of Satan by the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. And in order to keep man's hope alive, God took care to remind us throughout the Old Testament of the seed. In some passages where descendants would have seen a quite logical translation. However, since truth does not depend on logic for its authentication, prudence demands that we accept God's inspiration rather than man's erroneous interpretation and translation. The messengers of the New King James Version, Greek and Hebrew scholars. This problem is for you to resolve. If the seed of Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 refers to Jesus Christ, as most versions agree it does, then the elimination of the word seed from the corresponding Genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 10 passages to which the Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 seed refers this must be a mistake but sometimes some mistakes are deliberate now i would have to ask is this a deliberate mistake now to be sure the genesis chapter 17 verse 7 to 14 passage under review allows for abraham's physical descendants to enjoy the promised blessing however god was careful to have this promise so worded so that christ the highlighted seed of genesis chapter 17 from verse 7 to 10 and galatians chapter 3 verse 16 be the primary beneficiary and chief executor of his promise to abraham while at the same time ensuring that Abraham's physical descendants also benefit from it. And history stands squarely on the side of the above exorcist. Because of this wisdom and simple honesty demands that the necessary adjustments be made in subsequent publications. The New King James Version is one of the new ones. But never still is just the completed REB, the Revised English Bible, whose mother was the New English Bible, the NEB. This REB, listeners, is a very important version for towards the end of 1989. One of the deities in Trinidad and Tobago carried the following heading in its front page, Ecumenical Bible makes history now the above is very significant yeah what i just said is very significant since the reb is the text that was specifically produced for use in universities and colleges moreover the article went on to state that the widest cross-section of christian persuasion participated in the production of the reb earned itself the title ecumenical bible this listeners is not a conjecture for the paper went on to list the producers as having come from the catholics 
through most of the mainline denominations and even had an input from a member of the Brethren Assembly. Saints of God, my humble comment on this issue is that the end is near. Listeners, my comments are part a question is in order. Is the REB, which is the recommended text for universities and colleges, according to the papers, is it doctrinally reliable? To be honest, it is surely time wasting to detail its deficiencies. And my sincerest advice to you is this. If you are at all serious about your soul's salvation, the greater the distance you put between yourself and the REB, the better it will be for you. And what is true about the REB is even more true of the New World Translation of the Witnesses. For the Witnesses Bible was deliberately produced to give textual support to the heretical teachings of that fast-growing cult. Christian brothers and sisters, this issue of errant versions of the Bible is not a trivial matter, but one that impacts upon us with eternal consequences. And this issue takes on added significance when one considers the implications of David's statements of Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 to 7. I am repeating Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 to 7 again. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, meaning thy words, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them, meaning thy words, from this generation forever. Put God's ability and integrity on the line and place the responsibility and surely the preservation of his word firmly on God's shoulders. And do you think that God will abandon that stated undertaking what I just read? Heaven and earth will pass away before that happens. Listeners, God can and has and will preserve his word even from this generation that seems hell-bent on corrupting it by all means. On this call, we all know that a picture is equal to a thousand words and sometimes even more. And in some instances, when words fail, the language of a picture will prevail. So that when a picture is inserted between the pages of the Holy Writ, it can be of tremendous help in assisting one in understanding the written word of God. And this indeed is commendable. On the other hand, if the inserted picture bears no relationship whatsoever to the topic or topics under review, it must be understood that the inserted picture would have, have a distractive effect on the point at issue. Listeners, it's true for the understanding of the scriptures or any other field of learning. Let me say, for example, if one were dealing, let me say, with similar triangles, one would expect and would find that the pictorial references that are always inserted next to the written text would be triangular in shape rather than any other form. So this pictorial arrangement makes for rapid comprehension of the written text. Listeners, you do not have to accept what I have just said, for you can verify the above for yourselves. In time since, the above is what I call destructive corruption. For the pictorial aids that were thus inserted were so done not to enhance the topics that were being read. Rather, they were thus inserted to be an instrument of distraction. Of this, I am absolutely sure. And if you carry out the above test, you would have no choice but to say amen and that you are agree with me. Listeners, 
after having dealt with what I call the pictorial destructive aspect of the Holy Scriptures, we must again focus our attention on the importance of having a version of the Bible in which all the doctrines of the Christian faith are preserved and can be proven. This is crucial to the preservation of our precious Christian faith, for we are admonished by God himself, as he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And the apostle Paul, under inspiration, gave Bishop Timothy the following commandment. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And time since, from the above text, taken from Psalms chapter 12, verse 67, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it must become clear to all that in order for us to be able to obey the instructions written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, there must exist today a reliable copy of the word of God. Otherwise, the above directives would have been and would still be an impossible task. And from this little study, listeners, the untrustworthiness of most of our popular, popular modern version Bibles has been evidently established. But listeners, is there any version of the Holy Bible existing today in which all the doctrines of the church are preserved so that they can be proven today? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there exists today a reliable version. And although I shall be laughed at and even be ridiculed by many, I am not ashamed to state that the version in which all the doctrines of the church are preserved is the old King James Version. Yes, all the revealed truths of God and all the doctrines of the Christian faith are set forth and preserved in our old King James Version. Because of this fact, it is absolutely necessary for you to avail yourselves of a few copies of the old King James Version while they are still obtainable. Listeners, permit me to digress a bit and point a little on a part of the theme of this topic called unity. Now, a careful study of 99% of the modern versions will reveal that there exists a unity among them. A unity, not in style, but in intent and in most cases, content. This unity can be found in the undermining of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus, the Trinity, the seed, the personality of the Holy Spirit, redemption through the blood of jesus salvation by grace to the bodily return of jesus christ to the eternality of the word of god and by extension the authenticity of the word of god now if the unity is but a literary coincidence it must be listed as the last wonder of the world listeners wonder or no wonder of this i am absolutely sure that the changes which target the undermining of the fundamentals of the christian faith as i mentioned and as i listed shortly must be masterminded by the same agent whose goal is to sow the seeds of doubt and unbelief in the hearts of believers and skepticism in the hearts of the unregenerate so that the word of God would lose its original potency at a time in the history of this world when it is most needed. And time since, do not be fooled by the readability of these new versions. That is simply the bait that conceals the hook that will destroy you. 
Just think for one moment of the confusion at a class, let me say, 50 university students will experience if their mathematics teacher in their final year were to distribute some 30 new texts that unitedly contradicted and in some cases omitted and in others questioned the fundamentals of the mathematics subject. Do you believe that any of those students would succeed in their finals? Only a few would continue to the end and fewer still will pass the finals. Now, if what I just said be true for mathematics or any other field of study, how is it that the Christian world is so silent on this grave issue? Listeners, try to imagine the attendant confusion that must accompany the use of all these new variations of the Holy Scriptures. If, as must be the case, they are being used for regular Bible study and scripture reading. Can you imagine the biblical Babel that shall be thus created? And as a consequence, can you not see that God's people will be thus scattered thanks to these new versions? They are surely helping in the final falling away of God's people. Is this the aim of those who are deluging us with a multiplicity of new versions that disagree with the old King James Version? on very important issues at least it must be part of their very plan for the cults are the chief beneficiaries of this end time phenomenon and any book that gives textual support to any cult must be dangerous End time saints the situation is very serious now if the current state of affairs as i mentioned earlier how would it benefit the super world church? It, will, it would benefit the super world church in the following way. When all the available versions are corrupted, the Bible would have lost its purity and potency. Then Christianity, generally speaking, would have been reduced to an ordinary religion with no superior claims. Therefore, the absorption of Christianity into one world religion would be a reasonable and acceptable proposition indeed. And time since, that is one reason for the creation of the majority of the new versions. And if it were possible, the old King James Version Bible would become obsolete by the time that the church is raptured. To this, the new revised standard and the NRBV, these certain versions, even the latest of the lot in which it is impossible to prove all things and to hold fast to that which is good, as First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 states. Now, what a calamity it is for the true church of God. I gave the scriptures, please read them for yourself and compare those Bibles with the old King James Version Bibles. Listeners, they are masterminding the creation of a multiplicity of modern versions with a view to replace the old King James Version by those which are corrupt. The end result will be erosion of the foundation of the Christian faith. They want versions in which it would be impossible to prove all things doctrinally and hold fast to that which is good in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. When this happens, false prophets will strive to pave the way for Antichrist and his final false prophet accomplice. Saints of God, be warned. Please take time off and pay particular attention to the revealed truths of God as they are detailed in the old King James Version. Obey them, for one seldom forgets what one does. Commit as much of it as you can to your memory for the unpopularity of the old King James Version, engineered by the enemy 
is already impacting negatively on the quality of Christians we have today. Moreover, it is a literary endangered species because of this threat to the foundation of our faith. Awakened Christians must do all they can to preserve and publish the old King James Version Bible before it is too late. In closing, it is fitting to remind you of God's instructions to Joshua who led Israel into its inheritance. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Read it for yourselves, Joshua chapter 1 from verse 7 to 8. Bible-believing listeners, Joshua proved that God's word did not lie about this promise. Proof of the veracity of the above promise can be verified by reading the penultimate chapter of the book of Joshua. In this regard, please listen attentively to what Joshua has to say on this issue. Joshua takes the microphone and speaks. In Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, please listen and listen and listen. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls, that not one thing had failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, and all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing had failed thereof. That's Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. And time saints, not only has the uh, not only has the scripture that I just read is proof of the trustworthiness of the Old Testament promises being historically verified, as Joshua proudly exclaims in the New Testament, we have a parallel promise to Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, 8, in the following verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That can be found in John chapter 15, verse 7. Moreover, God gives us further assurance in his word when he inspired the apostle Paul to write, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. That can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Beloved Christian brothers and sisters, you who are likely to be caught away to be with our Lord and Savior, as I close, if you are truly serious about continuing and contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, rather than the one which was recently received, you will do well to secure a copy of the old King James Version Bible, for in it all the doctrines of the faith are faithfully preserved, and all the provable things of God can be easily verified therefrom. This cannot be said of the modern counterparts and rivals, since the vast majority of them are tailored to play a pivotal role in Satan's final attempt to destroy the revealed truth of God. So this is the end of my segment today. Please be safe and have a blessed day.